0: Daniel Ortiz in Angelo, Texas. We had four large financial unexpected emergencies. And I knew that I needed something to give us a little more breathing room. And when he mentioned we can skip two house payments and wipe out credit card debt and loan debt. So that's exactly what I did. I called them and it did change everything. Diane, she was awesome. She was professional. And the important thing with her is she listened. That's what made all the difference in the world. She was patient and anytime that I needed to talk to her, she was there, she texted back. It was a different experience from any other place. Well, I can tell you the difference that it made was over $80,000 for us. It freed up that much. Mike's credit score went up 126 points with save with Conrad, which made it an 802. My name is Daniel Ortiz and I freed up 80000 dollars with SaveWithConrad.com. N M L S number 65084 Equal House and your Woo! In your house. In your house. In your house.
1: In your
2: house. So uh, listen to this, Mick. Here's a superstars taping, and you're gonna team with Steve Austin and Farouk against Bret Hart, Ahmed Johnson, and The Undertaker. Uh, Taker's going to pin you after a tombstone, but, boy, what a group that is. I mean, Ahmed Johnson's clearly somebody they've had high hopes for at this point, maybe two years. The Undertaker is still the phenom here. Bret Hart, probably the top guy or one of the top guys in the biz. Austin's on the rise. Mm -hmm. And here's Farouk, just a man's man, but... Maybe in a less than awesome gimmick, but we're transitioning into nation. Farouk? So <laughs> the, the Rumble, if you remember, there's a nation uh, coming around. So now we're no longer Blue Farouk. Okay. And we're trying to be uh, a more militant badass, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Um, but that feels like an interesting pairing. I mean, Bret Hart teaming with The Undertaker and Ahmed Johnson. Interesting group. First of all, let me go back
1: to uh, our inability to defeat the Godwins. Yes. So, not a knock on Phineas I or Henry O, but if you're not getting a win over, if you're Vader and Cactus Jack and you're teaming up, which could be seen as a super team, you know, if you want to, yeah, it could be multiple time world champion, uh, and 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 you can't score a win over. Uh, listen. Go, jumping ahead to post-mania when I was The Undertaker's first opponent in Revenge of the Taker, and I, Leon and I couldn't beat the headbangers. Right. Like, we had a, a double count, whatever the schmaz was. But when this is going back to what we talked about at the top of the show. Do, you need, do, you, do, do losses hurt you? Not necessarily. But if you can't get wins or, uh, ahead of your big matches... If you're heading into a main event with The Undertaker and you've just had a count out with the Headbangers... Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So you do get the message in a sense, like, okay, uh, we couldn't beat the Godwins. How uh, does this bode well for us? But at the point, uh, Conrad, I was in so much... At that point, I was in so much pain that I wasn't looking much beyond Mania because I wasn't sure if I, how long I could go on. Yeah. I honestly thought, and I think I wrote about it, I thought it was the end of my career because we're, t- we're not talking about two or three weeks with bad sciatica, we're talking about August to now. August through March. And it was a big part of the reason why I think the match, my match quality dropped off in 97, picked up again in 98. Characters came on strong in 97. But if I had to pick a best match of the year for me, it'd probably be me and Triple H. September of 97 things were getting a lot better by then physically for me and uh, Creatively as well
2: cactus Jack maybe yeah
1: cactus Jack on the comeback um, but there was a pivotal moment where a uh, a Middle East tour was canceled and That gave me two weeks off and Prior to the two weeks we were looking at definite minor surgery possible major surgery and whatever God was, you know, what God was looking out for me, I'm not so sorry, not since, there's you know, more than one just saying that uh, I have whatever the situation might be, whether it was God looking out for me or whether it was just uh, nature taking its course, whatever was pressing on my sciatic was largely relieved after that two week layoff. Wow. And I felt and I didn't need I did have I did have the the minor uh uh injections done but i avoided major the bacteria. needle uh, in the, yeah, the needle. in between right the right. discs yeah uh i think it's cortisone yeah that coats it and it can have an incredibly healing uh for media. weeks or months or yeah. whatever yeah. yeah um and that gave me a a second lease on life but as we approach mania uh i wasn't sure that i would ever have a second another mania
2: are you trying things like the inversion
1: tables and all that? Oh, yeah. I'm trying everything I can. I'm going to the chiropractor. I've got the inversion table. Uh, I'm going to uh, a guy that's got the uh, the table that's, that stretches you. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing everything I can think of, all of it coming out of my pocket. Uh, and like I said, if I'm coming home, that if I've got three days off, that first day spent being super dad, the second day spent trying to heal up everything I can and running errands so you didn't have
2: a lot of free time were you in the back of your mind or actually planning with your wife hey what's a backup plan sure yeah and I
1: didn't know what it was yeah I really didn't know what it was going to be we had uh, we tried a couple of things cactus jackets in 95 uh, which was a failure um, but you
2: ran it like the back of magazine. Yeah, right? I ran it yeah. Uh, yeah
1: in the back of the motorcycle magazine. But but we were getting Pakistani uh, leather, which is going to be the antithesis of what the uh, Easy Riders, uh, you know, readers would like. Uh, because it was so much cheaper to yeah. get, you know, I guess water buffalo from Pakistan than it was cows from the U.S. So the the cactus jackets was a failure. We did get into the surplus business, which meant that I I got a great cachet of WCW belts um, that actually sold at the gimmick table when I wasn't there. This is before, now anyone can go online and order themselves uh, a replica belt. These were foam belts, but high quality. And so I was able to find through the surplus business uh, wrestling stuff that would sell for me. So to make an extra like 200, $300 a night, when you weren't at the table, it's a pretty big deal
2: at Yeah, the time, for sure. Do you think being a loner hurts you a little bit? <sighs> the, the old yeah. expression I've heard, you know, business is done in the bar. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. It's not a notorious partier. So I'm just wondering, if you were out late night raising hell with the Stan Lanes and the Ric Flares and all of that, do you think that would have changed anything?
1: May, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, may, maybe. Um, I do know that when I got to WWE, I was relieved to find that you didn't have to be close friends with Mr. McMahon for him to utilize you. Yeah. So uh, he was, and, and also in WCW, there was a feeling that everyone was playing with someone else's money. Yes. So when he got to WWE, it was, at least at that time. Now I see some things that make me question whether that's still the case. Uh, well they're a publicly held company also. So well but I mean guys
2: today say and I think Paul Heyman has done interviews saying now you play to an audience of one. Vince. Yeah. 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 And you're that right. was not always the case. But he would see what
1: was working and it point being you didn't have to be out and about, you know, you didn't have to be close with Vince. I think the first year I was there, hello hello Vince, yeah, how are you, Mick? I'm I'm doing good, sir. That's what I like to hear, you know that was it but that didn't prevent me from uh, main eventing a couple pay-per-views like summer slam yeah yeah so i did realize when i was in wcw i think you're you're onto something that
2: uh, that uh, some yeah there was a correlation between totally agree yeah and uh, i hope you guys enjoy yourselves today because we're going to be doing something we haven't talked about a lot something kind of recent relative to some of our other topics uh, this is the uh, the build for Vengeance, aka Night of Champions in two thousand. Yeah. So about fifteen years ago or so, and you've been involved with WWE programming uh, since around the WrestleMania time, mm-hmm. uh, where you were hired back after getting fired the summer before, following the feud with Flair and the whole kiss my ass stuff with Vince and Melina, which I'm sure we'll right. get at the time. But you were away all this time because of your work on your newest book, Hardcore Diaries, and all the mm-hmm. promotional stuff that you know, was involved with that. What was your contractual status with the company at this time, to the best of your recollection? I said,
1: guy I, uh, I had signed, uh, which I thought was a heck of a contract. It's actually the contract I encouraged Jericho to sign. Uh, it's a part-time contract that pays you almost like a full-timer. And now, you know, since then, there have been a lot of guys who come in as part-timers and have done really well. Jericho made the determination, he wanted to be, that lack of a better word, all in. Like he didn't need, he appreciated what I had done, but he wanted to be a full-time wrestler. But uh, uh, I think coming off, you know, you have to go back into where I've left WWE under less than ideal circumstances. So from like uh, 2003, for a couple of years, 2003, 2004, I went from having not done any wrestling shows whatsoever because I wasn't contractually allowed to. Mr. McMahon was nice enough to let me out of my contract a year early at my request, with the caveat that I could not do anything in wrestling uh, for that final year, and I was okay with that. And then even for months to follow, I would be asked, hey, as someone wants to do a signing, how can they get in touch with you? I'd just say, uh, they can't, you know, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not really interested in doing them. And then when I did start doing them, I would do them strictly for charity, for the Marty Lyons Foundation, for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, And then I did an independent show where I was a referee. And I realized that, you know, having some fun and walking away (laughs) with a, a healthy payoff, it's not the worst thing in the world. Right. And I went a different direction. I went from doing none to being like, you have money, I'll be there. And it got to where I was working with, I don't want to say they were shady and that they were bad people, but they were people who did not have the finances to be putting you. on the shows. And uh, a couple checks bounced. And the turning point for me, Conrad, was when I get to this event outside of Chicago, it's in the back of a baseball, know, like a baseball lesson academy type place. And it's okay if your baseball academy is in the back of a a shopping center because people who want to take the lessons will find it. But that doesn't mean it's the place to run a wrestling show. Where not a soul can see it when they pass by. All of these uh, independent shows are limited in what they can do to promote. So I walk in and there's about 25 people in there. And I just said to the guy, I said, "Uh, how are you going to pay me? And he said, we're going to pay you off the gate. And I looked around, and I said, we, we, we both know there's not enough money here to pay me. And then the guy got a little, like, uh, you know, uh, concerned. He said, um, I don't know what to do. Uh, the only thing I could think of is to drive to my grandmother's house and get the money from her. And I said, we need to take that ride. <laughs> like, I was as close to being a gangster as I've ever been. It's like, Pressure this guy to drive to his grandmother's house and give me a sweaty wad of bills. And, uh, it was on the way home.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa <laughs> yeah. not on the way home. I gotta know. You go into grandma's house. You read yeah, it. Yeah. You pull the sock out. If <laughs> you ask grandma, <laughs> hard way or easy way, right? It's something like that. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then what
1: I thought was the strangest thing is, uh, she was a little bit short. Uh, so she offered to give me some blue chews. Uh and I didn't know what they were. And she said they're like a hot tag for your wiener. So
2: that... it is a By the way, this is sponsored <laughs> by Blue Chew, and I can't imagine what grandma she was in for the ride of her life. You know? M- Mrs. Foley's baby boy made her an honest one today.
1: Conrad, I heard that at least three times a day at every meet and greet. A hot tag, like a hot tag for your wiener. So <laughs> we they people were like they were saying, I love the uh love the show. And then what they would go on to prove they love the show is saying, it's like a hot tag for your wiener. I was like, you have been listening. That's right. Um so it, this also followed there if you were following wrestling lore at this time, there was an uh, uh a wrestling convention in Indianapolis. Uh the promoter picked me up while the show was going on. And I said, How's it going? He said, Oh man, it's going amazing. When he knows it's not going amazing. Right. Like I believe he's lying to me, hoping that it you know uh, that it uh, uh that it becomes yeah.
2: into existence. Yeah. He,
1: yes, he's speaking success into existence. And when I get there, there's only like a hundred fans and there's just about as many wrestlers, gotta be 50 wrestlers. He's clearly overbooked this thing. Nobody's doing it. I I had a little bit of a line and I may have been one one of only two people with a line. And uh, so when I wanted to talk to him about the uh, likelihood of any of these guys getting paid, he could not be reached because he was locked up in uh, a room uh, curled up in the fetal position. Oh, no. And I just started thinking, like, I don't need to be a party to this type of thing. The guy did go home to his mom's house and wrote checks on his mom's checkbook. Everyone got paid. None of the checks bounced, but it obviously appeared a little dicey. And I remember thinking to myself when I was driving home that despite the fact, you know, I'd left under less than ideal circumstances with WWE, I, th- I thought, I may have even said this out loud. But I know the thought was, I know a guy in Connecticut whose checks never bounce. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when I called him up with the idea of doing like a three-year deal that called for three matches a year. And um he went and he went for it. And it was under that contract that I did the uh uh the WrestleMania match uh with Rick and Batista and randy and then the uh the next uh big big follow-up match with randy and so this match 2007 fell under that contract it was one of uh three matches i had to do in 2007 to fulfill that contract
2: well that's a great story and, and on a separate note i want to thank you for being so gracious with my grandma at starcast when you had to visit <laughs> her so we can settle up that's what i
1: thought I may have even said this out loud, but I know the thought was, I know a guy in Connecticut whose checks never bounce. Yep. <laughs> and that's when I called him up with the idea of doing like a three-year deal that called for three matches a year and, um, he went and he went for it.
2: All right. By now, you know that, uh, Mick and I both like to save money. He's frugal McDougall, and I've been known to save a dollar or two. But let me give you a little pro tip on saving money because that's the old thing we're looking for, right? It's like, we've always heard it's not how much you make, but how you save. Well, maybe you're like me and you've fallen for a good deal here and there. Or so we thought try it free for 30 days. Well, that's enough time to try it and then completely forget about it. I have to admit, I did this before rocket money. Rocket money showed me all the subscriptions that I'd signed up for. And dude, I wasn't using a bunch of them. I had no idea that both my wife and I signed up for Hulu, but we watch TV together. We don't need two accounts. We needed one account. I even had a subscription that was very expensive to DAZN. I bought it over a year prior just to watch one fight and forgot about it. They just kept drafting and I missed it. So let me ask you this. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? I thought i was spending like 80 bucks a month man when it was all said and done i was spending hundreds per month it's time you find out exactly what you're spending with rocket money you see rocket money is a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions it's even going to help you monitor your spending and help you lower your bills all in one place over 80 percent of people have a subscription they forgot about Maybe you signed up for the stars app to watch one show, or maybe you got like a free gaming trial, but you never actually used it. That's where rocket money comes in. They will quickly and easily find the subscriptions for you and any you don't want, man, you just hit cancel rocket money does the rest for you. It's that easy. Rocket money can also help you manage your finances in one place. You can automatically categorize your expenses. So it's easy to track your budget in real time and you'll get alerted. If anything looks off. Over three million people have used Rocket Money so far, saving the average person up to $720. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash foley. That's rocketmoney.com slash foley. Rocketmoney.com slash Foley. Uh the other channel, you've got WrestleMania 10 happening. Uh, Madison Square Garden, two of the greatest Mania matches ever. Brett, no one get us started. And, boy, Sean and Razor just stole the show with the latter match. Yeah. Uh, are you keeping up with what's happening on the other channel?
1: A little bit, yeah, as much as we can. I don't know if we had the uh, – we know, certainly no DVRs. I right. guess you could record things. Yeah, VHS, yeah. You could record on VHS. You're catching stuff whenever you can. Uh, I'm, we're not always working on a Monday night, so I'm, w- I'm watching Monday Night Raw whenever I can. Watch the Saturday Superstars whenever I can. So I'm aware of what's going on. I'm reading uh, two newsletters at that time. Torch and Observer. Torch and Observer. Um, and so I'm, I- I at the very least, reading about it. Uh, I don't think I saw that ladder match. Uh, so I can't, I don't believe I saw that mania for years after, man, they made magic that night, and kind. Of, there've been other, there've been other ladder matches. I guess Brett and uh, Dynamite had set the bar pretty high, especially with uh, you know, feats of daring, and then. But Scott and Sean just told such an incredible story that night at the Garden, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: it, it feels like that would have been right up your alley. You know, the um, the use of of, of of props and 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 height and I don't know, it just it felt like something you would have said, okay, I can get behind
1: Yeah, I don't know if I can hang with the modern-day practitioners of the ladder matches because there's such, such great athleticism. Yeah, You know, I had a few good ladder matches in my day, and even at Mania with me and Funk in 98, Billy Gunn and I took a really cool dual bump off yeah. the ladder into the dumpster, which certainly felt a lot higher at the time than it looked You know, and you're crashing down. You hope you're going to make it. You know, there's not much room for error because if you don't make it right into the middle of that thing, you could get your head dinged. Yeah. Could get your knees banged up. And so we were both glad to have been in in one piece.
2: And then, of course, we... uh... We'd be remiss if we didn't mention between Super Superbrawl and Spring Stampede. This is where you lose the ear in Germany. Oh,
1: it's between. Wait, are you sure I didn't? Oh, between Spring Stampede and Super Superbrawl. Yes. Okay, 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 gotcha.
2: So uh, check that out in the archives. We've already covered that. But in your mind, when the ear comes off, I mean there's no way you want to miss a pay-per-view, right? right. Now in this era you're not getting necessarily pay-per-view bonuses, are no, you? No. But it's just a point of pride. This is a pay-per-view. I
1: want to be on it. More of a point of pride, yeah, that you're not going to miss uh you're not going to miss pay-per-view because of this, especially because I was so excited about the prospects of uh of uh, having that capitalized on. And I really enjoyed working with Max. You know, I understood we've talked in the past episode about the ebbs and flows. Yes. I don't need to be on the top of the card all the time. This is a good spot. Uh, We have good chemistry with these guys, but surely the company's going to do something about this. And so I'm on a real down. And and also just physiologically, it was explained to me. Now, your body is not what it was because part of it's gone. So you have, it's, it's very common to have, de, just suffer depression following that because you are almost like mourning the loss of part of yourself, wow. uh, as crazy as that sounds. Does it uh, also
2: affect your equilibrium?
1: A little, yeah, it did a little bit, it did a little bit. And I remember I was keeping a journal at that time and the journal, yeah, it was kind of a downer, you know? Yeah, I wasn't as fun to be around, and I was always, you know, for my younger kids. Wow, I was always the dad who wanted to do stuff, and then I become the dad who was laying in bed all day. So I I think it was a combination of the physiological aspect of losing an ear, but probably more so the idea that they're they're not going to do anything with me. You're right. You're right. You know.
2: um, And the other channel. Boy, it's not all roses up there either. So I could see why you maybe felt like, man, is not working out the way I hoped. Because in the middle of, you're losing your ear and they're not doing anything with it and you feel like, oh, this is probably not the perfect spot for me. Vince McMahon's on trial for steroids. And at that point, all the other territories are pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got some small little independent promoters here or there. But as far as making a full-time living in wrestling, If you can't do it in WCW and you can't do it in the WWF because maybe things are changing there with maybe events going away, you have to at least in the back of your mind be thinking: Is my dream slipping away? Right?
1: You have you have ways to make a living in Japan. Um, Guys are still going to Puerto Rico. ECW is a thing and it's on the rise. I can't remember if it was under Eddie Gilbert then or whether when Paulie Paul Paul was doing it. Okay, Paul was doing it by then. But uh, especially when you know the other companies not interested in you, it is, in Bill Watts's word, a buyer's market Yes. and I'm a seller and I have nowhere else to sell my goods. Um, but I'm aware that independents are doing, are out there. And I think, you know, based on the fact that I was making 250 a night in 1990, my spot's a lot better independent promoters know I'm going to come in and I'm going to give them the best match I can. Yeah. Uh, and I believe I can make $500 a night. So I'm going to be, you know, a grand a grand a week instead of three grand a week, but I'm doing it on my own and I'm finding some place to do it away from the cameras of WCW. That was uh, uh, that was it, it was definitely entertaining that thought uh, all I'd say largely because of the failure to follow up on what I thought was a gimme. Yeah, a gimme. With the missing year in wrestling.
2: Talking about Vince, though, were you concerned that, hey, if Vince goes down, that's going to be damning for the whole industry. Sure, yeah. I mean, on on some level, I'm sure some people would say, oh, well, it could be an opportunity for WCW, but I tend to think if Vince really went under, man, that yeah could have been catastrophic for the whole industry, right?
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we need events. And guys need, guys in WCW needed uh, another place to go for the sake of, you know, I, I always detested that term, buyer's market. Yeah. You know, like we're soybeans or uh, <laughs> pork bellies. So I never liked that. And I always liked the idea, and still do, that there's some place for the guys, men and women, to go.
2: Flair is going to resign as a booker at the end of February. And not too long after that, you have maybe your first of a few backstage confrontations with Mr. Flair. Uh, You come back after having a a match and feeling pretty good about it. And then it turns to shock you right in your book. Because you run into Ric Flair, who had been waiting for you. This is directly from your book. Flair had just resigned as booker, and I guess he decided to take his frustration and anger out on me. What the hell are you doing out there? I didn't know what to say. Hell, I didn't even know what the question meant, and I told Flair so. Quote, I mean, you do all that shit, and just because you think those two, pointing at Ross and Cornette on the TV monitor, put you over, you think you're over. Don't you understand no one cares about you? I was floored. All I could do was stare blindly as the nature boy continued his condemnation. You'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30, and nobody's going to care. Now, we know that 1990 is not a fun time for Ric Flair in his wrestling Mm -hmm. career. He's unhappy with the way things are going with his career and Jim Hurd and his contract and his push. And There's a lot of pressure of being on the quote-unquote booking committee, and some people would say running it. Rick would deny that, and being the champ, and then sort of being blamed that business is down. But in reality, business is down on the other channel as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, People say it's a cyclical business, but... I'm sure it's a lot of pressure for Brick, but this is the guy who helped hire you and who even at that point, a lot of people were saying is the greatest wrestler of all time. And now he's just taking the wind out of your sails. Looking back, it's
1: Sigmund Freud's theory of transference, you know? Yes. I mean, the example we were taught in high school, the guy's having a bad day, takes it out by young at the dog. Yes. In this case, I was just that. You were the dog. I was the dog. Um, Did you know
2: that at the time?
1: No, no. I mean, it hurt so bad to the point where, uh, you know, it's funny because when I talked about my ECW promo about turning 30, and I think I likened it to uh, neighbor Tom Daw standing on the (laughs) the Foley fence and robbing every home run that I hit in wiffle ball because I was a pull hitter and uh i think my mom or dad suggested i hit it somewhere else other than when tom was standing and even back when i was six or seven years old that seemed like cheating yes and so i used that as a promo to say oh, i'm i'm, I'm going to be 30 i could ease over that line but that's not my way i'm going to hit 30 the same way i hit 29 and when it yeah, pretty effective promo and at that time a lot of people did not know who the Uh, uh, the veteran talking about being in a wheelchair by the time I was 30 was. But, uh, I mean, there was something to that. I mean, all the veterans were right about the, the hip replacement and the damage I was doing, but I'm, you know, I'm happy to say, especially when we begin the Foley weight loss challenge. You know, we're going to drop some dramatic lbs. But I'm 50, uh, 50, my 57 or 50, I'll be I'll be 58 this year.
2: You almost. It twice almost as far doubling no that. Wheelchair, no wheelchair.
1: Of? I walk a little slow at airports. You know, get around a little slowly. All well, things considered, doing pretty good. But when you look up to somebody the way I did to Rick, yeah. whether or not he's got a reason, uh, a, you know, a reason for being angry in general, that hurts. Yes. Yeah, it really hurts.
2: Uh, the, so the radicals debut on raw on January 31st in Pittsburgh, and it's a nice shot in the arm from a talent standpoint. You know, you got Benoit, Malenko, Eddie, and uh, Perry Saturn. They're brought in a storyline friends of yours. And you even talk about how much better the TV time would be uh, to give them than maybe the the likes of main street posse. And in hindsight, I think we all look back at that radical's job and say, mm, "That's maybe a little less than from a debut standpoint." What do you What do you think of the way they? Because they all lost right away. Yeah, well. that was
1: crazy that they oh, lost. I, I don't know what they were thinking. I, yeah, look, uh, you know, I, I don't know how your how, how do your listeners feel about uh, the Observer and Dave Meltzer?
2: I mean. Uh, I love Dave. I've read Dave's stuff for nearly 20 years. Yeah, so. I,
1: I haven't read The Observer oh man, in over 10 years, going back to when I realized when I would come back off the road in WWE. At that time when I started, it was 10 days on, three days off, and I would come home and I'd beat and beat, and then I would read the newsletter. And at first, you know, that people weren't really taking to the Mankind character. That stuff hurt my feelings. And I'm like, wow, is it dad? Now I'm being less of a dad that I can be because, and being less of a husband because this stuff is hurting my feelings. And then I finally, uh, I just, I don't, I'm not going to read it anymore. I'm yeah. not going to let it dictate my life. But, uh, I, you know, Dave's got a lot of detractors. And I'm like, man, I think Dave publishes like 30,000 words a week.
2: One of the hardest working guys around incre- the industry.
1: It's incredible. I mean, for anyone who's.
2: Never misses a week.
1: He never misses a week, he's always on. And I think personally, he responds to way too many people on Twitter. You know, detractors, I think all of us have that.
2: The mute button is a joyous thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: it is. And I've, I've benefited, I'll even reach out to a guy, like I'm not close with Kenny Omega, but I like Kenny and I consider him a friend, only not close because I've only met him a handful of times. But when I would see Kenny respond to this stuff, I just DM'd him, like, Kenny, you don't need to do that. Just forget about those people. You know, just don't let them dictate your life. Uh, But anyway, the reason I bring up Dave is he had this great analogy back when WCW uh, purchased uh, UWF. And you've got this great opportunity to have this head-on-head rivalry. And it's like, well, you know, Chevy doesn't have to defeat Bu- Buick. They both are under the same umbrella. Yes. I think he he had an analogy about a toaster and bragging about the best toaster and it's like but you're the same company. You yeah. you make the you make the two toasters. One of them doesn't have to be worse than the other because inevitably all the WCW guys beat down the UWF guys and there were a handful of guys staying Steiners, Dr. Death, Steve Williams uh, who ended up staying on with WCW, by and large, they established that they were the superior brand. Why those guys didn't come out of the gate with wins across the board, I don't know. Eddie, again, he got injured, uh dislocated his elbow. I don't know if Eddie was supposed to win, but it put those guys in a hole right away. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, Eddie went on to be one of the most beloved characters, sure. you know. Uh, Dean... D- ultra uh, respected and uh, behind the scenes he was never going to take off like a rocket because uh, you know his personality was very dry and but one of the, he, best, technicians one of the best technicians ever uh, benoit i you know uh, you know
2: it is what it is, is what it
1: is. it is but you can't take away that he was one of the greats um sure. and uh that wrestlemania that ends with the confetti falling and benoit and eddie in the ring is just a powerful way and it's also something nobody nobody would have seen read right in the stars no. for wwe closing a show with these two guys as your champions so i'll say they went on to be uh and perry got kind of lo- got lost by the wayside you know um yeah he's uh, i don't know um it, it never perry could be really tough on guys in the ring it just yeah. didn't click with WWE. It just it didn't click with wwe Um, But I do remember thinking that's a strange way to debut people.
2: The original storyline of the whole McMahon-Helmsley leadership, you know, on air, refusing to give the Radicals a job, leads to Raw ending with you and the Radicals beating up Hunter. So that's a pretty cool way to to debut them
1: Again, I I think that the decision to have a follow-up match had something to do with Eddie's injury. So I'm maybe
2: a, there was going to be, a, I do know, an eight man or a 10 man. Maybe that was the case. Like yeah, yeah,
1: maybe that was the case. Yeah, I don't think the, the idea was to bury the radicals. I don't know what the rationale was behind having them all lose. Again, that doesn't seem like the best way out of the gate but I have to believe there was a plan for them to come back. Maybe they sensed that there'd be resentment among the WWE fans if they came in and beat their guys right away. Which
2: is really silly when you think about it, because the only time in history, you know, even when the whole UWF uh, thing happened with Jim Crockett, Dusty had all those guys lose, and then we know when WCW went down, all those guys lost. And yeah. the WWE won. The only time it went the other way is with the NWO. When Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came in and beat everybody, yeah, and it worked, yeah. But nobody ever repeated that ever. But they work here, so what does it matter?
1: You would hope if there's ever going to be uh, the the wrestling war, which would be AEW WWE, that if they could ever, if that ever is in the cards, you know, wrestling fans dream that uh, they would be treated. They would be an agreement reached that would be best for everybody. Even when I was a GM of Raw, I think Raw won all six Survivor Series matches. Yeah, because Raw is the, the A show, the a, a show, I mean, and yeah. it was like whoa, whoa, you know. Uh, there was a, there was heat on me, which I didn't appreciate at all. In that, what well, people would tie me together with what they didn't like about the show and then tag me in those things i was like wait a second so yeah you guys believe
2: <laughs> not really the I general run manager this show like
1: <laughs> like uh, that's like uh tagging in julia louis dreyfus because you're not happy with the direction of the country it's like she portrays the veep the veep you know, yeah or a bit later the president like you guys are, just use your head here like it's a billion dollar company I'm going to put that guy with the fanny pack and the flannel shirt and a history of head injuries. I'm going to put him in charge of it.
2: Only with knee pads. Guys, by now you've heard about Blue Chew on our program for a long time. Mick and I are big believers in Blue Chew, and we want you to try it. Sincerely, this isn't just for guys who have a problem. This is for guys who are trying to leave a lasting impression, for guys who want to enhance their experience. Think about it as PEDs for your PENIS. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime y'all day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple guys. There's three steps. Number one, you sign up at bluechew.com. Number two, you'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, number three, you'll receive your prescription. In just a few days, blue juice tablets are made here in the USA. They're prepared to ship directly to your door. And by the way, it's in a discreet package. So don't worry about the mailman knowing your business. Okay. The best part it's all done online. That means you get to skip the awkward conversations. You don't even have to go to the doctor's office. There's no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It doesn't get any easier than this. And I've never recommended blue Chew to someone. And they came back and said, oh, it didn't work. Everybody's like, Hey man, uh, thanks for the pro tip. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it y'all let's have some better sex, shall we? We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free and use our promo code FOLEY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is FOLEY to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. We thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So, in this first meeting with Vince, as he's sort of laying out what his vision is, you're pretty much asking why you can't be Cactus Jack. Yeah. You wrote in your book that he said, Vince tried to be comforting, but failed miserably with his words. Quote, Mike, you've got to understand that the average fan sees wrestling as a glut of performers who seem to blend together. It's hard for our licensees to get behind our products and hard for us to push your characters. If there's no distinction between the competition and us, we feel that with this unique character, we can market Mike and make Mike a bigger star than he's ever been. So he's doing his best to try to sell you, But also saying, hey, well, there was a Cactus Jack with our competition, and we need them to know this is a WWF figure, and it is his game, so I guess that makes sense. But it still has to be pretty heartbreaking to think, you've done all of this, and now we have to start over.
1: It was pretty heartbreaking. Uh, As I say, I'm smiling because I did just find out that Mankind's coming out as a pop, so... Uh, that was to think that that was 27 years ago. 20, I mean, 26 since I debuted, but 27 since we had that meeting. And he was right. They did market it as a character. Um, and they did very well with it, and they continue to do very well with it. And and believe me, despite some of the uh, copyrights they let lapse, they don't let that one lapse
2: because
1: <laughs> they know that it was. A, uh, I found out I was like I, think I was like the sixth biggest money earner for WWE as far as, and that's crazy. A lot of it had to do with the Mankind title belt because that was a really expensive piece. Yeah, and uh, you know, just you do the math by virtue of the fact they sold close to a thousand of them at three hundred fifty a piece. It's a lot of money coming yeah. in. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, I mean, I love the fact people love this character. I think they love it for the changes I made to it in 98, largely. I think if it was just the 96, 97 mankind, and then he leaves or he stays that same character, I don't think we'd have the connection. But no doubt them forcing me into a different character combined with my willingness to, Try to take it to a different place, experiment, have the luxury of failing, which I don't think other people have, like uh, we did in our era. That you could try stuff that was outside the box. You could take your swings, and if you missed, you you were still going to get another at bat. You you know. uh, So I love the baseball analogies, but I, I did go up there with the intention of swinging for the fences when it came to ideas, matches, stipulations. And uh, if I failed, I failed, but I wasn't going down without my best swings.
2: So towards the end of the meeting, you write that uh, J.J. Dillon comes in and hands you the contract. Um, Part of you knowing that J.J. had not necessarily his fault or his choice, but he had dismissed this. There had to be a little bit of satisfaction Did you wink at J.J. or was there an acknowledgement like, oh, I told you so. Well, keep in mind, it was still a
1: contract for a guaranteed $750 a year for five years. So I wasn't in a position where I was winking or nodding to anybody. I I really wanted to prove myself. And uh, I wanted to do whatever I could to make that, that character successful.
2: So, how do you leave that meeting? Uh, you said that you didn't necessarily sign, so I'm assuming you would have said something like, "Well, let me look it over, review it, or what have you." Yeah,
1: we thought about it again. I can't remember if I went immediately to the, you know, to Japan, and then started examining the possibilities, or whether I'd already signed when I went to Japan. But that's when I started believing that I might have something I could. Uh, 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 offer this character and I took a little bit of this you know the the uh, the cactus jack vocal mannerisms, the quaking uh, and then I dialed it up to 11. so it was it was really yeah it was very much a character. Um, and then we we ended up creating layers for it as time went on but it was uh, it was a work in progress you know I went to I did go to Memphis for a weekend. Um, I did their TV maybe three, four weeks before I even debuted for WWE, or maybe it was in between the Aldo Montoya, uh, match and the official Bob Holly debut. And I was still finding my way around. Like I was still trying to figure out how to make it work. So, uh, I think it wasn't until, uh, that I actually made the debut that I, 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 you know shaved the divots out of my hair decided mankind was going to pull his hair because uh, i'd been around people with um uh, uh emotional difficulties yeah. uh from uh, you know from even back when i was a uh, a lifeguard there was one of the uh, uh one of the children had big tufts of hair missing because she was a hair puller and uh, obviously that's a lot of pain if for some problem someone who takes to pulling their own hair out is suffering emotionally on a big level. And I thought, well, yeah, I, that's what my guy is, right? So he would express frustration when he didn't get a pinfall by pulling out his hair. First of all, we, we taped or glued some clips of hair to the, uh, the mask. That didn't work, it didn't look realistic. And then I essentially would just, I had the long hair at the time, it wasn't uh, particularly well treated. And so there were a lot of dry ends. And I found if I just pulled rapidly, you know, instead of yanking from the skull, if I pulled the hair itself, that after six or seven of these, I had it was visible and then it would float. And it was this great thing where the floating is gentle like a butterfly in nature, but it's being done by a madman who just pulled out his own hair. So even as the hair was floating through the air, I was now back on the back on the offense. Uh after going back to 99, uh, this was uh, the anniversary of this match just happened, the uh, uh, Valentine Day Valentine's Day Massacre yeah. with Me and The Rock. Um, it had been decided that the three-way match was going to be a singles match. Instead of being me, Rock, and Steve, it was just going to be Rock and Steve, because Shawn Michaels, who at that point was still bad Shawn Michaels, you know, he hadn't undergone his transformation. He was adamant that the main event at Mania could not be, it had to be a singles
2: match. Because it had never been anything Never been anything else. the first
1: one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he was not, by any means, trying to cost me my role in that match, but uh, he convinced... Vince said it had to be a singles match, and I was out. So we came to the Rocky II ending uh, at the end of Valentine's Day Massacre where we both get knocked out.
2: Let me go back to the Shawn uh, Michaels okay. thing, where you, when you find that, when you discover what happened and that it was Shawn who had Vince's ear, uh, you probably think about not just the goal of, of checking that box of inventing eventing WrestleMania, but it has to impact you financially. Are you pretty upset with Shawn? <sighs>
1: No, I want no, I wasn't upset with Sean because uh I wasn't. I'm trying to give you a reason why I wasn't because it sounds as you discuss it like I should have been. Um I didn't t- I pr- probably I believe that was a better main event anyway. You know, Steve and Rock, like that was always, I believe, the money match. Uh not that the match was me and it wouldn't have uh, it would have drawn. I don't know if make, what it Did you
2: ever feel like you belonged in a WrestleMania yeah,
1: main Yeah, uh, no, I was a, I was an in your house guy. I was. <laughs> I was
2: <laughs> well, Sean, you belonged in a WrestleMania main event. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I felt I, I wasn't Mister WrestleMania. I was Mister In Your House. Uh, there were worse. Things. Yeah, there were worse things to be. Yeah, all my best matches came on the uh, secondary. I was the number one name in secondary pay per view main events.
2: That's a t shirt. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah, hold on. laughs> can I? Can I? Uh, can I copyright Mr. In Your House? I mean, I don't know why you would. <laughs> we've got a guy who can do that. So let's talk about the way these matches are put together because we're going to do our very first watch along here on Folius Pod in just a few minutes. But we've heard in prior episodes that agents weren't as involved back then no. as they were now. Do you have to run stuff past I mean is this all just everybody figures it out when they see it or are you at least saying we might do this we might do that
1: man that's a good question because I don't remember there being agents in WCW I know we talked last week about Paul Orndorff you know being uh, an agent of sorts I don't remember guys coming to you and talking to you about your matches so this is supposed to be my last match before I go out to pasture and get the, uh, the ear fixed. Right. And I'm pretty down, down to the point where I take that walk from the Clarion Hotel uh, across the parking lot of uh, the venue uh, there in the outside of Rosemont Horizon is what yep. it was called at that time. And probably one of just a few arenas that you could leave your hotel and walk across the, the uh, uh, parking lot to go to. And I see a camera crew in front of us. And whether it was uh, Access Hollywood, it was something along those lines. They want to talk about Missy Hyatt suing WCW. And Max Payne says, uh, uh, there are avenues you have to go through, PR department. I say, what do you want to know? And I just, I guess there's all these emotions going through my body, you know? uh, Loss of the ear physically, mentally. And also an idea, part of me thinks I'm doing this in character as part of the company. And I say the line, if you can make, you can dig into Ted Turner's deep pockets, go ahead and do it. And then I think I hit a character line Uh, about our past angle with Missy. And uh, the next day I got that call from Eric Bischoff, whether it was the next day or two days later, did you? to an interview where you encourage Missy Hyatt to reach into Ted Turner's deep pockets. And it was like, it was like one of those dreams you wake up from and not sure if you're dreaming. Like, it's like, I think I did. Yeah, I think I, you know, that's clearly a corporate no-no. Yeah. Right? To encourage uh, disgruntled talent to uh, reach into Ted's deep pockets. Yeah, I just, I thought I was in character. I can 100% see how that was not news that was received <laughs> favorably. But even when we get into the building, I'm just by myself. I remember giving a promo that for a news outlet and Big Boss Man like going, whoa, you saying like, are you going through some stuff? Because it was a real sullen down. It was an in-character promo, but the content was surprising. Couldn't tell you what the content was. But I don't know if we talk for more than 30 seconds about that match. We didn't set up a bunch of cool stuff.
2: Were you at least, uh, I only asked because you you made it a point to talk about the right angle to shoot that elbow off the apron. Right. Were you you giving some sort of heads up to a cameraman? That night? um, Well, just in general, in WCW, would you say... Now, listen, Jackie, if you don't mind. Yeah, Jackie Crockett
1: was yeah. great with that. He took the low angle angle shot that I suggest and he added the shake to it. So it looks like, not only am I flying into your living room, but I am uh, rocking the, the, there. the foundation. You're rumbling in there. I would, and I was seen as something of a pain in the neck by, I, I, Jesse didn't seem to care. For my, you know, and junior J. didn't seem to care for it either. Jr. had his own, you know, he was in there. No one was locked in more. And I'm not, I, that's the same me, didn't seem to care. Okay, I got it, I got it, it, you know, when I was trying to tell them what we're trying to get across. Um, Wait,
2: Jesse and Jr. would cut you off?
1: No, no, this is back when I would say this is what I'm trying to do. I got the feeling that you, they both like to do things, uh, you know, their way. And, uh... I, look, I'm not looking for this to be controversial, but Jim was very much, he seemed very much... Here's what we did. Here, you know, He was in his head, no one ever did it better. That was his oh, process. Sure. You know, um, I don't remember uh, the announcers at that time saying, hey, what are you trying to get across here? Is there any move that we should be looking for? And so we're gonna watch along. Yes. I, I'll be surprised, I, I haven't seen this match in 20 years. Uh, But it was a match that came alive right in front of me because it was one of those things that I just wanted to get through. Like I said, very little, if any, talking about spots. Uh, And then within the first two minutes, I realized, and I could probably be quoted from my own book, that if I don't start fighting back, these guys are gonna (laughs) really injure me. I think it was you know, a non-gimmick pool cue over the head. Uh, It's
2: a car crash. I can't uh, wait for us to
1: watch. But a much more enjoyable car crash. I think this was a four-star car crash.
2: This is an unbelievable performance. Uh, Before we watch, though, I don't think the Internet and just wrestling fans at large really talk about Jackie Crockett enough. It feels like everybody uh, is quick to talk about Jim Crockett Jr. And, of course, his brother David, who was a big part of the old uh, championship wrestling programming that we saw at 605. But Jackie Crockett was really like the unsung hero because he had a great mind for the business and he knew based on everything I understood about Jackie exactly uh, how to showcase the guys best with the camera. Uh, What was your experience with Jackie? I love Jackie.
1: Yeah, he was really receptive to ideas. Like I said, he'd take what I thought was a great idea, make it even better. And that elbow became a hallmark of what I did, you know, when both my runs there, in WCW. So he was a great guy and he was a, he was an easy guy to talk to. I didn't really have a relationship with Jim or David. I knew Jackie. I liked Jackie, you know, he felt like one of the boys even though he was production. Um, when you and I were listening in a while back to Vince McMahon on the Pat McAfee show and he's telling uh, talking about some of the cameramen been 15 20 years, I'd say some of them been there 25 years or more. You know, or yeah. more. You go in, you see a few of the same faces, man, and, uh, you know, they're really good guys because you know they're going out of their way. On one hand, they're doing their their job, but on the other hand, they're taking such great pride in making you look as good as you possibly can.
2: Miss Stu was probably there when you started. Yeah, yeah. Still still, there.
1: Still there, Stu from Cincinnati. It's what when you think about it. I remember Stu asking my my daughter, he, he told me later, he said, he asked my daughter, what was it like growing up in a house where you of celebrated christmas all year long and my daughter went oh it was amazing
2: like <laughs> that's such an awesome yeah. answer um but let's talk about your match because you're excited i guess i mean hey we're hurting but we're, we got a little bit of time off but we're going to get a wrestlemania payday we're finally going to be in a wrestlemania thank goodness it's not against Mark Miro, mm-hmm. but it's a tag match and not only is it a tag match it's two heel teams yeah that's a little unusual for a WrestleMania match. It's normally a baby face versus yeah. a heel that's been built for months and months, once upon a time, and now, maybe not as much, but you know there's some very capable performers that you're very familiar with. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, uh, and you know, like, Davey's the guy I had the second match in my career with, right? right, right, against the British Bulldogs. So Davey's a legend, and Owen is one of the great workers of his generation. And who can turn it on, he can both make you laugh. Like I said, you know, he'd do these rib matches just to get the boys to laugh sometimes. But he's all business where it counts. The night before was the big angle that shoots this thing up to the stars, which is... (laughs) Owen has worked it out with a plant carrying 12 pitchers of iced tea. So that when Owen, you know, I think Owen jumped on stage... Was this ninety ninety-seven? I maybe he jumped on stage because he was the year he was a slammy award winner, made the best out of that situation, really put the onus on everyone who followed up to make their slammy <laughs> important, became the two-time slammy winner. Carried it to the ring he with him. Carried it to the I ring admire. with them. And he said, you know, Davey, you might have two titles, but I've got two slimmies. Woo, you know, I'm a winner. Error. Woo, you know. And then he confronts Leon. Leon doesn't know that a guy's passing by with 12 pitchers of iced tea. Uh, Owen gives the guy a shove, overgo the 12 pitchers of iced tea. And Leon does, makes the worst possible choice, which is he tries to chase Owen because uh, Leon doesn't know it's a rib. He tries to chase Owen. He's not gonna catch Owen under any circumstance, no. but especially not when Owen tips a chair over in his path. Leon goes down like a ton of bricks. And at that point, your, t- your TV payoff was $25. You got $25 at that time for TV, unless you were in the, the dark match main event. Leon was in all these dark match main events and couldn't do them because he had tweaked his knee or hurt his knee. So now I'm stepping into dark show, dark uh, match main events, I think with Undertaker. I'm revisiting Taker. I'm working almost every Monday night uh, with Taker. and Instead of getting $25, I'm getting more like $2,500. So Leon's loss was my gain, for sure. I think Leon could have petitioned the company and said, I'm a, I'm the scheduled main event. Like, yeah. shouldn't I be getting something out of it? But uh, that was a rib that, well, a little. I thought it was a good rib. And Leon was, again, so hurt. He was a sensitive big guy. I mean, he So hurt his feelings
2: and hurt his feelings
1: and hurt his feelings that I knew about it and didn't tell him. Because You knew. You knew. We could have turned it around. It's like, no one turns a rib around on Owen Hart. You know, like you just don't venture there. So I thought it was a good rib. Leon did suffer an injury. I benefited and made about an extra twenty, twenty five grand because of the rib, uh, which I was grateful for. Really grateful. It's hard to, you know, $25 a night. That's and who are you to right. say no? Because it had been done. So the enhancement talent... Was receiving more. I didn't yeah. know at the time. You know, when we were getting a hundred dollars a night for, in '86 to be WWE enhancement, I didn't know we were making four times. Now, what are the, the four dollars? Yeah, those yeah, yeah, right, right.
2: Yeah. So uh, you, you wind up winning the uh, the loose screw award. Yep. and you give a speech from Rocky. <laughs> Do you get to keep the Slammy? I sure did, and I
1: wish I hadn't uh, uh, auctioned it off when I did, which was maybe. 15 years ago or 20 years ago, instead of now with the current climate, a slammy would probably be going for about five to 10 times more than what I sold it for. Yeah, maybe I sold it for a grand, you know. Yeah. Um, it'd probably be worth about 10 times that. I'd say. I don't know what the going rate for a slammy is.
2: You've heard Mick talk about it for years. AG1, Mick and I absolutely love AG1. We start each and every day with a simple scoop. That's it. That's all we need one single scoop and a cup of water and buddy, we're getting 75 different high quality ingredients. It's going to hook you up and give you all the key daily nutrients. And it's going to go ahead and support everything you need. Your energy, your focus, your strength, your clarity. This is just a, a no brainer to me. Think of it as like your foundational nutrition product. You know, listen, we all get busy and we wind up well. I didn't want to do this for lunch, but I don't feel like I have an option or, well, I know I need to Dude, this is easy. Just one scoop every single day. You're making sure you're taking care of your most valuable asset. You You cover all your bases. You're looking for better gut health. You want to boost in energy. You want to support that immune system. Maybe you hate taking pills or vitamins. Maybe you just want a supplement that tastes good. I drink mine every single morning. My wife does hers before she even does her coffee. It makes her feel unstoppable on her way to the gym. And I think it gives me more focus at work. I feel like I'm more productive and I don't have that crash in the afternoon. I feel like I'm more productive all day long. We started this back even before the pandemic started. My wife did, but when the pandemic started, man, she had me start doing it. We've done it every day since we are huge fans. I think you will be too. Even our daughters are into it. Now Morgan's actually taking some down to Tuscaloosa with her. With every single serving, you're setting yourself up for success. I just can't recommend it enough. By the way, you don't have to take our word for this. Just go look up their reviews. These cats have thousands of five-star reviews. It's the real deal. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try a G one and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free a G one travel packs with your first purchase. Go right now. So drinkag1.com slash foley. That's drinkag1.com slash foley. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Well, there you go. We're uh we're gonna have more WCW stories coming yeah, of up. Of course. But, but let's uh let's talk about now. You're gonna be finishing up an all-time great run in ECW when you get this call. Um in fact you wrote in your book that uh before the match where you wore the forgive me Uncle Eric shirt. You get the call from Jim Ross. I, th- I think that's late '95. Is that yeah, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. And probably you, no, probably November '95.
2: Did you uh, tell Paul Heyman that Jr. called? What's your relationship like with Paul? It's not like they're in a war with ACW.
1: No, no. It, I had a really good relationship with Paul. Um, this is something I've, I've discussed only one other time. I think is that I was a, I was a realist. You know, I mean, I wanted. Big things out of my matches, um, but I had accepted in my in my heart that I wasn't a WWF guy. I had accepted that uh, WCW was never going to use me uh, like I wanted to be used. But I realized I had some name value, and I thought, okay, I'm pulling in three thousand dollars a week. I may have been making thirty five hundred for uh, for um, IWA Japan, and that's thirty five hundred for a ten day tour you know you're there for a week but it takes you a day you know you're there 10 days total uh by the time you leave your house and get back to your house been 10 days so 3500 and i was coming back in some pretty wicked shape after those tours almost always uh torn up uh, physically but bright eyed and bushy tailed emotionally uh and i thought okay 3500 that's 3500 a month I'm still doing. I'm getting 500 to 750 on the independent scene, but that was maybe drying up a little bit. Um, ECW Paul's giving me 750 for the Philly shows, 500 for the other shows. I was like, if I can supplement that on uh, Monday nights, I thought I could. I thought I wanted to contact WCW and see if they had me come in as more or less a glorified enhancement guy. Put over talent, have good matches, uh, let them get some hard-earned wins. And I thought, if I could add another 1000 a week, I was like, all right, I could be up there in the, you know, close to that $3,000 range. And I explained that to Paul. Paul, you know, first of all, we really can't have you doing jobs on TV if we're going to be pushing you here. And second, he made me realize or made me feel like I was capable of doing more. So that... That what basically saying what you're doing is too good not to be seen. Yes, it's it's going to get the attention, and uh, you and he made me feel like I could be a WWE guy, but more or less was not. I mean, bottom line was not going to let me reach out to WCW with the idea of earning supplemental income on Monday nights by putting over the big stars, Um, and so uh, sure enough, I probably within a month or two of that conversation and the call from Jim Ross comes you know, in my mind, it comes like the day I get home from the King of the Death match tournament. Like, right. that's, the, that's the great storytelling way. Because sure. I, I get home and I'm burned and I'm stitched up and there's a story in the book about, uh, you know, shielding my dad who picked me up at JFK Airport uh, from my arm, which is now, you know, like turning colors and the skin's falling off it. Uh, and when I get back to our little apartment, we had rented a house, the b- bottom part of a house in Long Island. And uh, my wife's like, oh man, was it a smoking flight? No, no. I was like, something's awful. She kept saying that, you know. And and then when my dad left, she goes, Mick, seriously, this is a sickening smell. What is it? I said, it's me. And I took off my sweatshirt, whatever it was, and she sees this huge burn from the King of the Death Match tournament. So in my mind, it was like the phone rang at that second, and it's like, hello, Jim Ross, you know. But uh, it was probably another s- several weeks before I got the call from Jim.
2: I can't wait to talk more about your time in ECW. So I'm, I'm thrilled to do
1: it. It's our first time around. Uh, I've had opportunities in the past, but the time seemed right. And uh, I just kept waiting for our diehard fans, they get tired of hearing wrestling stories, but we don't, right?
2: No, we're not going to get tired. We're, we're insatiable for it. We can't <laughs> get enough. And prime example, as you and I are recording this just last night, I saw your live show. It yeah. was my sixth time seeing the show. I think it's better than ever. I told you wow. that after the show and you're still making towns, man. Tell everybody where they can keep keep up with you and see what you Yeah. Next. Uh
1: you see, you might have caught me. I've got this telltale sign that I'm nervous, which is when I I blink kind of like in a strange way. It's almost like a facial tick brought on by weariness. So last night on stage, for example, if you saw me go into the face like I was rubbing my eyes, I was actually blinking because I hadn't slept the night before. Wow. And I'd say if you go back and you were to look at footage of every single promo I've ever cut in the four or five seconds before that promo begins, I'm doing this strange blinking thing. So forgive me. <clears throat> if I blink a little bit but this is a new terrain for of me of course uh but you, so uh, and we will feel our way through it hopefully become a beloved part of people's uh, weekly schedule. Uh, but when it comes to my shows they can go to my uh, website realmicfoley.com, and go to events and uh, man we're really running hard through the middle of June and then taking a few months off but uh, I you can tell that I love doing yes. the shows. So Conrad, there was this, uh, uh, back when I was doing the shows with Bruce, right? Yeah. Uh, so, Bruce and I would be terrified because we were outside our comfort zone. Right. I haven't had a drink before a show in years, but when Bruce and I were doing these things, here we are. We both had experience in front of 15, 17,000 people. Bruce had been in front of WrestleMania stadium. I believe they'd done stadiums by that point. Yeah. And I remember we got 17 people in Worcester, Massachusetts. And here, Bruce and I were practically holding onto each other like a mama mama koala
2: <laughs> and a, a little baby. <laughs> because
1: we're we're, we're too scared. We're out of our comfort zone. So I would have one or two drinks and go on. And so Bruce and I did a bunch of these shows. Uh the guy who booked us no longer, he's no longer, you know, I don't want to denigrate him because he's not here anymore. Um, but they booked it as t- like totally not not insane, but it was like total insane, total extreme comedy. And that's not what I do. And right. Bruce is a storyteller like me. Like right. we're not coming out there and do wacky jokes and you know sight gags, uh, so it wasn't really a great fit. But it was that idea that you're outside the comfort zone, but you're working on something, and you're trying in a different way to put smiles on faces. So now, fast forward uh, uh, several months, Bruce and I are in. Uh, we're at the Hilton in Las Vegas and uh, it's the big it's one of the two or three biggest crowds we did of a dozen or shows we got wow. about 300 people but we're in the ve- we're in the ve- vegas hilton where elvis used to play that's where he wow. did his residency and they've decided that the vips there's like 100 vips they're going to be to the side of the stage so now we're down to 200 in a 3500 seat theater <laughs> And they're scattered around. Yeah. So I guess it gave the woman who reviewed the show the idea that nobody was there. And she hit me with one of the, the, this is one of the lines that just, you know, it stung. It said, the man who used to play to tens of thousands now plays to tens of tens. And it was like, well, first of all, that is true. But it wasn't true that night. Like, really, right. there was, there was tens- hundreds. Yeah, yeah, hundreds. Um, And I've since come to realize, like, well, that doesn't matter. Uh, last night I told a little story about uh, my son Huey being my elf yeah. on Christmas Eve, and how when we drove away from the house, I said, "Man, I feel like I've had a pay- I've just finished a big pay-per-view match." And He said, "Dad, like there was only three people there—just one, a dad, and two sons." I said, "It doesn't matter, buddy. It's about creating that moment that you hope they won't forget." So, uh, I uh, I try not you know I try not to make my show any deeper it's supposed to be an escape for people it is relive stories but that one message that i will i will hit on is don't let other people you know decide for you what being a success is so uh even on nights when there are tens of tens and those do happen i i I try to bring the a game and uh, i tell people i say man uh, there are certain nights when you get that reaction and you're in front of, whether it's 70 people or 100, we had about 170, it was you know, almost packed there last night. Good for, was it Tuesday night or Wednesday night? Yeah, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. Um, yeah, I came out of that with that post-show buzz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember seeing Jewel perform, and uh, I, I had quoted Jewel's song, Hands. I actually talked about it last night, about how I used to wear the bracelet before broke that said, only kindness matters, which is a Jewel show. And so uh, my you know, I remember her saying, hey, dude, we should meet. And so I say, uh, hey, this might sound strange, but I'm coming from an event, I might be Santa Claus. And my wife goes, Oh, that's the last time she'll ever talk to you. <laughs> and then Jewel responds with a DM is like, oh, like, I think I adore you. Like she loved that stuff, you know, yeah. oh, the writing the letter to her son, uh, Santa and so i'm just i just want to remark on the fact that when the next time i came to see oh it was that night you do the customary well nice to meet you and sure. after 5 minutes you don't want to tell you kind of know when your when your time is done and every time i kept excusing ourselves me my it was my daughter noelle my wife she go no no sit down so you know she basically spent the entire hour with the foley family and we walk away thinking We've got a new friend in Jewel. Right. The next time I, I saw her on the road, uh, you know, is before uh, I bequeathed to her my album collection. So oh, cool. Jewel has the Jewel and uh, Alicia Warrington, who is Alicia Taylor on NXT. They own the Foley album collection, the Foley <laughs> vinyl collection, right? What a, what, a, what a weird world it is, right? Jewel and Alicia Taylor have the Foley albums. But when I came back to see Jewel after the show, she had that post-show glow. Wow. It was really cool to be part of that. So you see after all these years, you know, when someone loves performing, they've got that glow about them. And I had that last night. You saw me afterwards, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, you were proud knot. I, I couldn't have been happier. Yeah. And so going back, to, going back to what the woman said about tens of tens, you know, I, I, here's an interesting thing. We might be able to do this on a future show. And I know people tuning like, I'm fully starting about Jewel and Santa Claus. (laughs) We want you to be thrown off the top of that cell. We like that guy, (laughs) and we'll get to that guy. Um, But when I did my my Santa memoir, right, knowing full well that this is a very limited audience, and I hedged my bets when I vowed, I'm going to donate all of the money to uh, you know children's uh, charitable organizations that deal with uh, Christmas. You know, whether it's you know, Santa's Elves Incorporated and out of Santa Claus, Indiana, which write letters to uh, children Uh, and also, you know, then a few charities that help the less fortunate uh, during the holidays because that's important. Um, But I also realized it's not like I'm I'm hedging my bets. This is not going to be the big seller. Where I go, oh, my goodness, what did I do? Why did I do that? Uh, That's a lot of money to be given away. So I know it's a limited audience. Uh, When I did the uh, audio, I broke down when I read the last page where I was talking about visiting a boy at his home, a boy who had cancer. He was so exhausted when I saw him in the hospital a couple days before Christmas. I thought, poor kid's not going to remember anything about this visit. So I said to his mom, I said, "Uh, would he like a visit, you know, on Christmas Eve? Problem was, Christmas Eve rolls around, Christmas Day rolls around, and uh, there's no answer from the family. So I I call the uh, hospital. I speak to the head of a, a child life department, and she says, "Well, you know, he uh, family doesn't mind if I say his name. Brandon. Brandon just went home late on Christmas Eve." I said, "Well, see if he'd like a visit on Christmas Day." And the mom gets back to her. She relates the message. Well, they would love it, but it's Christmas Day, and this is where I want people. This is, I know. I jump around a little bit. Stephanie McMahon wrote in the uh, in the forward to that book, and she wrote a great forward. She said, uh, "I've known Mick Foley for over twenty years, and all that time he hasn't changed." She used like three words of high praise for me, and she said and somehow simultaneously naive, you know, like all at the same time. And then she said, and if you pushed my hand, I'd say a little strange. And I was so glad that she said that because the wrestling's a home for outcasts, right? Of course. Especially the stuff I did as Mankind that connected, really connected. Yeah. I was ju- I was just trying to keep my head above water in the Attitude Era. Like, I didn't know when I decided to make Mankind a little, uh kinder and gentler right that i was connecting with people that didn't feel like they had a place and so i if i can uh spread a message it's embrace the things that make you strange Uh, don't shy away from them i was so glad stephanie wrote that because i said to my wife i said every positive thing that's ever happened to me has come about because of behavior that could be categorized as strange. Wow. So when I respond to this, you know, the child life person, and I say, uh, Tell that family there's no place I'd rather be on Christmas Day than at their home with their child. And that sounds like the words of a crazy man, right? Right. Uh, so when I said, that, I remember mean, there was a little girl named Ursula, and she was born, she loves Santa. I even did a bonus chapter in the paperback it's the, called The Girl Who Loves Santa Claus. She loves Santa to the point where I would write a letter and like send her a gift for halfway to Christmas. And then you're, I, I'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart, but we all still love the acknowledgement. Sure. And after five days, there's no acknowledgement of the gift. So I said, How does Ursula enjoy a gift? And the mom writes back, We don't know. She won't open it she carries it everywhere with her. Wow. So it brought her so much happiness just to have it Yeah, and uh, uh, that she wouldn't open it. So this girl just positively loved Santa. Wow. And so when I, I did the same thing when I met the mom and I saw how taken the little girl, who wasn't supposed to talk, who the parents were told should live out her days in a home because her d- disabilities were so uh, severe or challenges, I think we call them these days, so severe. So when I committed to doing a visit on Christmas Eve, she said, OK, um, I, I'm sure it'll be a quick visit. Uh, I know you have to be with your family. And I said, the visit may be five minutes. It may be an hour. It will be however long it needs to be to be the best visit I can give to your child. Yeah. And so my wife goes, you sound like a crazy man.
2: yeah oh i i
1: do i do you know and if you take it the wrong way it sounds like there's something wrong but going back to the behavior it's like well everything i've ever done that has meant something has come about because of behavior that could be labeled strange so just fast forward going back to the the chapter about the boy in the house i get there it's about 6 p.m and i said in the book uh I think I referred in uh, the Have a Nice Day to having a, a list of goals right. that I wrote down and how as time went on, I was able to check off almost all of those goals. Ma- main event, Madison Square Garden, headline a pay-per-view that does X number of buys. I know it was 300,000 whatever, like check, 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 check. And I also had a list of the greatest things I thought I'd ever accomplished. So there was Beach Blast 92, uh, the match with Shawn Michaels in 96, the sit-down interview from April '97 with Jr. and I said, if I can ever find that list, at the bottom I'm going to put visit to Brandon's house because I was in the zone that night, right? Like I, one of the best performances I ever did. And uh, there's only five people there. All three women have tears streaming down their cheeks, and there's six people: the, the uh, uh, Brandon and his sister and uh, and the dad. Uh, and I was just on top of the world that night. So when I go to read the, the final page, I talk about the goals. And I also talk about being at WrestleMania in Dallas in 2016. And how, my first of all, I should have gone first. Sean should have gone second, right? That should have been the hierarchy. Why they had Sean come out for, I don't know. You know. Steve rightfully comes out last. And I know as soon as that glass breaks, not a soul in the place is going to be looking at me. Right? Honestly. And last night, I talked about just looking, seeing faces, and being able to connect. But now I got the luxury of time where I can look around 101,000 people, even if it was a slight. I don't know. I've heard it was slightly exaggerated. There were a lot of people there. A lot of folks there. You have a great way of putting it. And I just looked around, and I thought, I've never been in front of a crowd like this before I will never be in front of a crowd like this again I'm going to take it all in good. I also had the luxury of knowing I was on the no touch list Seamus <laughs> had firmly instructed me to hit me as hard as he as I could fella and then made it clear that he would be angry with me if I didn't you know just by looking at me he goes hard as you can I said Seamus I don't think I need to do that to make it look good he goes as hard as you can fella I was like hey, man, I've got instructions. So now I was able to just enjoy that moment because I don't have to worry about making my stuff look good. Sure. By virtue of the fact that I'm going to hit him as hard as I can repeatedly, it's going to look pretty good. Uh, and I also referred back to the goal I had of selling out Madison Square Garden and how it more than lived up to my expectations. But then I said, but if you ask me, was it better than being in that kid's house, that child's house, Wow in front of five people, and that's when I broke down. I was like, I can't tell you that it was. So that's one thing if you're listening, and you're in a car, wherever you happen to might be, and it feels like life's got you down a little bit, just remember, uh, you get to define what being a success is. And for me, like everyone's a success if they just make the world a slightly better place for, for all mankind. All right, through with my lecture uh you're probably shaking your head going oh, no I'm no we could into. roll the
2: credits right now i mean <laughs> you you are the uh the most genuine person in wrestling the most beloved person in wrestling and i can't believe i get to sit here and do this with you it's an honor
1: and so. as you're saying that i'm thinking wait a second conrad does a podcast with ddp i'm apologizing <laughs> for for saying something that might be construed as inspirational yeah yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, like I said, when I come to the shows, that's not the goal. The goal is to entertain and make people forget about, uh, the, the real world out there. And that's what I
2: hope we're doing in a sense, Absolutely, yeah, we uh, are. this episode and every episode is brought to you by blue chew. We love talking about blue chew here on Folius pod. It's like a hot tag for your wiener. Seriously. This is for guys who are looking to put on a five-star performance. Maybe you've been living under a rock. Let me explain. Blue Chew is a unique online service delivers you the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost, take them anytime, day or night. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple. You'll sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part it's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And Blue Chew wants to have you have better sex. Why not? Discover those options at BlueChew.com. Let's chew it and do it, y'all. And boy, we got a special deal for our listeners. Try it. That's right. Try Blue Chew free. When you use our promo code Foley at checkout, just pay the $5 shipping. That's blue The promo code is Foley. You receive your first month free. Visit blue for more details and important safety information. And we thank blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. 97 is a fun year, man. So around this same time, raw is going to expand to two hours, uh, I think beginning of February and they're trying to really make a go at WCW who at this point is firmly in control of these Monday night wars, uh, as a wrestling fan yourself, you had been in WCW and it felt like when you were there, boy, this is going to be second fiddled events forever. Mm-hmm. And now you're here and you see, well, the tables have churned. What do you attribute so much of the success? I mean, is it just Hogan, the NWO, or is it more of the WWF just wasn't hitting the mark like they could have been? Probably a combination yeah. of the two. I remember watching...
1: The show, it was tough to watch both shows because uh, you're on the road yeah. and you're on one of the shows at the same time. Uh, but the WCW show had a replay, a West Coast replay. So occasionally I could catch the shows. And the match that struck me was Luger and Booker. And I remember Luger and Booker had a really good match. And then Luger cut a promo. And I'm not saying it was an all-time, it wasn't like a Dusty-esque or Flair promo, but he just said he said something, he said, and Booker T's gotten really good. It was a way of elevating Booker. Yes. Like I think that, that uh, people started to see Booker in a different way, as if yeah. he could be part, part of the card. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, they've got the hot hand. They've got the hot hand. That as much as I wanted to believe our show was better, it wasn't better. Um, it was still kind of going by formula. You're still leaning pretty heavily on one-sided squash matches. WCW, for the time I was in there, you know, they would have basically one good match on a two-hour show. And the rest of it were squash matches. When Bill Watts came in, Bill had some great ideas, but he was a believer in the hard camera shot. He didn't want to see guys calling spots, and I understand that's, you know, that's an issue. But, all, but I don't think it's worth losing no. the aesthetics of especially when we've gotten used to getting in there on the action. That's part of what makes wrestling wrestling is that we are coming right into your living room with the facial expressions and everything. And now we're we're losing the, the competitive matches. We're going back to a more one-sided uh, uh, match format, which was bad for wrestling. And now the war has hit. The the Nash and Hogan thing is a bullseye. A Hogan joins the group. You know, and eventually they overplayed that hot hand. Oh, of course. Right, to the point where it became, you know, comical how many people were in the NWO. And yeah. they had to start subdividing into Red and Wolfpack. And I, I guess if you weren't in the NWO at a certain point, you know, you probably weren't in WCW unless you were DDP. And that's what made DDP stand out, is he was kind of like a lone wolf at that time. Yeah, He was apart from the wolf pack. But yeah, they had the hot hand, and we did not.
2: We're talking about Spring Stampede 1994, Mick, and... That era of WCW is an interesting time, not just in WCW or your life, but the wrestling business, is it not? I
1: don't know if I was ever in a, uh, a company where it was not an interesting time for the business. So. It
2: just feels like in 94, the business feels decidedly smaller than it was a handful of years before. Mm-hmm. But you've still got some hardworking guys and gals here trying to make an impression and give it their all. But WCW in April of 94... You know we're just a couple of months away from hulk hogan coming in and they do the bash at the beach that year and sets all kinds of records but at this point wcw is still decidedly in the number two sure. spot yeah um but man there was some great talent uh, let's let's take us back here we're coming off super brawl four from albany georgia in february but there's just so much change going on in wcw at this point it feels like eric bischoff and rick flair are fully in charge of wcw and now there's an influx of new talent coming in. Uh, Sherry Martell has basically replaced Missy Hyatt as like the lead woman mm-hmm. uh, for WCW. Um, before we go down the road of talking about the individual talents, Eric Bischoff and his rise in WCW, did that shock you?
1: Oh, sure, yeah, it sure did. I remember uh, DDP calling me up and saying, ding dong, the witch is dead, in reference to Bill Watts being replaced and he said, uh, you'll never guess who's taking his place. I said, who? He said, Bish. And I had to ask him, like, who? He said, Bish. Because Bish was like, Eric Bischoff was probably number three. He uh, calls
2: himself a third-string announcer. He, OK.
1: Uh, he was the third leading announcer. He, We did, were not aware of his sales background. Uh, we were not aware that the uh, Ninja game that was featured on AWA was uh, Bish's deal. And uh, you know, it's a corporate structure. Uh, Bill Watts was still uh, a renegade. Yeah intent on doing things his own way. And um, you know he'd come in with some great ideas but brought brought morale down in a hurry unnecessarily. Like you don't need to break us right. Like we've been on this road. We've been here a long time. We've been doing this like uh, you're going to you want to really want to take away the catering before a seven hour taping. You want to take away the coffee. Before a seven hour taping, these things uh, you should know as a businessman, you know, sometimes it takes money to make money. And I think feeding the guys and getting them a little bit caffeinated when they need it is uh, a cost you need to be able to make.
2: So Bill Watts, I'm sure we'll talk about him a lot in the future, but uh, what a change to go from Bill Watts to Eric Bischoff. I mean, it feels like, and again, I've never met Mr. Watts, but we hear he uh, led by fear and intimidation a lot and he was from the old school, and now here's maybe a different kind of cat in Eric Bischoff. Did you think it would work?
1: Well, I was was proud to be a Bill Watts guy. I was glad that he liked me as a wrestler. Um, I think the harshest condemnation ever had for me is he started to say something and he went, damn, I know you're doing your best. So that was as harsh as it got from Bill. And wow. Bill was in charge when I was having a tremendous problem with uh whooping cough, hiatal hernia, uh, I couldn't really put my finger on it for a long time, so I was having trouble just breathing. Wow. I guess you could argue I should have taken some time off, right, uh, I remember Barry Windham saying, he shouldn't be in the ring, you know. I mean, I had like thirty seconds before I just started <laughs> heaving because I had a whooping cough. Didn't know it at the time, and shouldn't be out there in the ring, you know, with something as uh, as limited as it is, and you know, contagion-wise, it does. It does. You can catch it. Uh, so I was there with Bill through some tough times. I didn't care for the the you know the the whole. Uh, Edict about staying until the very end. Yeah. Even when you, you know, I think I quoted Nikita Koloff uh, back about four weeks ago, where there was a group meeting and uh, uh, Nikita raised his hand and said, Bill, I know how important it is for uh, everyone to uh, uh, stay till the end, but there's sometimes we've been on the road for a couple of weeks, we might have a chance to uh, catch a last flight out on a Sunday. Uh, would you consider changing the rules for that? And Bill said, Uh, It's a tough business on families. Okay, any more questions? Let's go. And it was like, it just, it just, he didn't even entertain the thought. Yeah. And he also uh, um, called a meeting and, uh, uh, you know, we just, uh, (laughs) you and I witnessed Mr. McMahon's interview with Pat McAfee where he talked about having no empathy for people who are late. But Bill didn't even have empathy for people who were one minute early. You know, Bill... (laughs) He locked the door a minute before the meeting was supposed to take place and said everyone else was late. So he was a difficult guy to get along with for everyone. Uh, I got along with him, there were others who did. Uh, And so when I heard ding dong, the witch is dead, on one hand I was like, wow, whoa, that's great. I've got a guy that I know that I can talk to. Um, But on the other hand, I was like, man, I was doing pretty good under Bill Watts. I was doing pretty good. Change is not always a good thing. and I wasn't sure. I was a little uncertain as to what the future would hold.
2: What was your relationship like with, with, with Bish? Uh, I mean, did you travel together? Did you just spend times together at the show or did you have a personal relationship? Yeah, with
1: Eric? I, I did have a relationship with Eric. Um, uh, he was friends like longtime friends with DDP. Uh, DDP was one of my you know, my closest friends and Eric Bishop was a guy I talked to frequently, a guy I considered, a, you know, a good friend. And so it w- was going to be really unusual that you could just call up the boss and uh, and ask questions, you know. And, and in short order that was no longer the case, you know. Eric really uh, rose to the occasion, you know, yeah. became a, a corporate guy, changed the face of the business. Uh, he made his mistakes along the way, which I, I know he's, uh, you know, uh, taking responsibility for, but also, uh, uh, was a forward outside the box thinker who did change the face of wrestling.
2: All right. I think you're probably about my age and let's face it, as we're getting a little older at 42 years old after a night with drinks, I just don't bounce back the next day. Like I used to. So I find myself having to make a choice. I can either have a really great night or I can have a great next day. That is until I found ZBiotics. You see, ZBiotics pre alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Now, here's how it works when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. You see, it's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Drink ZBiotics before drinking, drink responsibly, and enjoy the night with confidence. The first time I tried ZBiotics was hanging out with Eric Bischoff. We were uh, hanging out, it was a podcast movement a few years ago, and we knew we were going to uh, <clears throat> have a little fun. So we said, hey man, let's try this. We had some samples, and bam! I was having a great time the next day and I had a great time the night before it was like, I was 21 again. Now, every time I have a Z biotics before drinking, I know it's going to make a difference the next day, even after drinks the night before, I know I'll be able to wake up early and record a podcast for you guys. And I have to admit when I first heard about Z biotics, I was a little skeptical because man, I grew up thinking, oh, you just need to drink a bunch of water. That ain't it, man. You need some science to break down that toxic byproduct in your gut. You need this genetically engineered probiotic. I'm talking about Z-biotics. I put it to the test with a little vodka water, and I put it to the test with maybe one too many Miller lights. I am 100% convinced that actually works. And I'm telling you, this Labor Day weekend right around the corner that's coming up before you know it, you need to stock up for the long weekend. Make sure your friends and family know to do this before. So if you're hosting like a big barbecue, maybe you guys are going to the beach or getting out on the lake, order some Zbiotics, especially if it's going to be a fun weekend. Make sure everybody has one before they start drinking. Now drink responsibly, y'all. But the next morning, it's going to be a great day. Savor the moment. Let Zbiotics do the rest. Go right now to zbiotics.com/foley to get 15% off your first order when you use Foley at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to slash Foley and use the code Foley at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, ZBiotics, for sponsoring this episode and my fun weekend. Are, is there a mystique to WrestleMania at this point? I mean, you've wrestled. In stadiums, you've wrestled in explosions. You've, I mean, at this point, there's almost nothing you haven't done, but WrestleMania is still WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, here you are, Chicago, or the suburbs of Chicago. It might not be the main event. It might not be exactly what you pick. but do you have any sort of mania jitters?
1: I'm just trying to get through it at that I point. I'm just trying to get through it. I'm just, you know, I'm not swinging for the fences in this one. because I just want to have a good match. And I looked through the match about three or four years ago, and it was a good match. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't a show stealer. It was a good, solid match, especially plenty of time too. Sixteen minutes. Yeah, we had plenty of time, uh, especially when I'm injured. But even in generally speaking, I wasn't as good in tag matches as I thought as, as I was in singles because. Uh, The pressure was off. Uh, The same reason why I was a better, I'm not going to strike anybody as a good basketball player now, but the more people were on the court, the less effective I was to the point where I was far better as a one-on-one player or a two-on-two player than I was a five-on-five player because I was a guy who kind of retreated into a little hole in a way if there were other guys there to pick up the slack. And I think, even subconsciously, I knew Leon, whether he'd been booked that way or not, was one of the great workers of his generation. It wasn't on you to make the match. It wasn't on me to make the match. And, um, you know, it was a drawback for me. Um, And I went on to, you know, be a part of some really good tag teams.
2: But I never felt like I was as effective in that role. Talk to me about the match itself. Is this something that You and Vader and Davey and Owen would have worked out ahead of time? Y'all would have talked about that day? Probably a combination
1: of both. It wouldn't have been something we drew up weeks in advance. Um, It was basic, but it was good. Um, Is there more agent influence on a WrestleMania? No, I don't think so. I think we were kind of left to our own devices on that, and that was kind of the way it was. Uh, I can't speak for mania, uh, but I don't, up until I wrestled Edge in 2006, I don't remember agents being as omnipresent as they were, uh, they would later become, uh, to the point where it was frustrating to have to go through an agent for everything. It really was. Um, But at that point, I, you know, I got, Pat would have great input, but he would listen to what you had to say and you were largely creating it on you were creating it on your own with a little input from agents
2: when you're running through a match like this um, do you know the finish before the day of or does does a referee come to you and say 16 minutes we want these guys over how was that yeah yeah that's probably i'm not sure it'd be the referee telling you would probably be your
1: agent telling you and then you work from there uh, i think it was a double count out not a yeah. not a real satisfying mania. None of us, you know, was looking at that. First of all, WrestleMania moment wasn't even in the lexicon at that time. It wasn't even a thought. You just wanted to have a good match and hope that that was uh, remembered when it came payoff time, and hope that the the powers that be looked at your
2: spot on the card favorably. You're fourth on the show on the actual pay per view. There, you got 16 minutes, 8 seconds. It is a double count out. Bouncer would say, Hart and Smith got a face pop and worked the matches as faces. This was a good match with a lame non-finish, which served to ask the question, what was the purpose of the match, (laughs) since neither team even teased the turn? That's interesting, I guess, because I think from a storyline standpoint, you do expect if there's two heel teams, well, we're going to start to love somebody, but that doesn't really happen. No. But I guess it would have been really difficult to think about Vader and Mankind working as Babyface.
1: Right. And I think the idea at that time was for Leon and I to, I think we were forming a tag team with the idea that it would break up and be the feud that it should have been in WCW. That was what was in my mind at the time was that we were going to work singles together, which I was all
2: for. Because you knew you could have a great match with yeah, them. And you yeah. probably thought I can help make people believe in Vader again. I thought, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I thought I could. I thought we could take uh, what I thought was a big uh, uh, loss of potential in the ear angle, bring it alive, uh, humanize it. I even had the idea, I think, at one point, not that it's a good idea, uh, it doesn't strike me as being particularly good now, but of having a pig's ear sent to my son in a package, like it was... Yeah, Godfather style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that that was going to set off uh, set off something inside me and be an outside uh, the boundaries of decency to bring my family into this thing.
2: So I, I go back to the match and I wonder the same thing. Did you guys wonder when you come through the curtain... What was the purpose? <laughs> what were we trying? I mean, were you happy?
1: With- well, I'm, I'm, I was happy. Uh, you, you, again, you can't go on a trajectory. The stock market, even a good stock market, ebbs and flows. Of course. I wouldn't say any of us felt like we were a popcorn match because you're really not supposed to have a popcorn match on, at Mania. On a 16-minute one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I felt like we did what. Uh, It felt good.
2: Yeah.
1: I was happy. Again, I was really hurting, and I was happy to get out of there in one piece and just put something respectful up on the board.
2: Respectable up on the board. You think Vader, Owen, Davey, everybody was pretty happy with the match when it was over? Wesley, you remember it? I think so. So there's a lot going on in wrestling at the time. WCW is going through some pretty massive changes. Vince Russo all of a sudden has quit. And now there's unconditional releases for Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and Perry Saturn. Also given releases at the time were Shane Douglas, Conan, and Billy Kidman. Um, I know you're maybe one foot out here, um, but are you in contact with any of those guys? Shane Douglas jumps off the page knowing your history. Did you have a conversation about what might be happening next for them? I don't recall
1: that with Shane. I think Eddie and uh, Dean and Perry and Chris, I think they they're really unhappy with, because if you were not of a certain look, uh, you were lumped in with a lot of guys in WCW. Well, and
2: there was the perceived quote unquote heat of Kevin Sullivan being in power, given everything that had happened. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I see why they're unhappy, but it's a major move where at the time when guys would jump, it would usually be one, not, yeah. not four. So it was a pretty major shift. And I wondered, you know, when you're thinking about retirement, and again, we don't know exactly when you pinned it down, do you th- see these guys coming in and think, you know, here I am hurting and slowing down a little bit. Maybe it is time to you know, make some space for somebody else? Or is that even a consideration?
1: No, no, I wasn't retired because to make room for anyone else, I was excited to have those guys in the company, and they were a sure. huge part of it. And I again, going back, Eddie injured his elbow. uh Night one, on, right? Uh, night one. So I'll have to go back and see. I, it just seems like that had, uh, it had some type of ramifications in my own career. It just feels in my head like that was part of the reason we decided to do the uh, – Uh, the No Way Out as a a cell match and a retirement match. It had something to do with Eddie's injury, but I wasn't begrudging any of those guys the shot because they were all, uh, you know, great great workers. As far as Shane, I do not recall him reaching out to me after that. I think Shane, remember, he'd been Dean Douglas, right? This is one of the worst. Gimmicks of all time. Gimmicks of all time. And I remember Shane telling me when he got the character, Vince told me he doesn't think someone as intelligent as I am should have to yell to get their point across. And so they... The Shane Douglas we saw as Dean Douglas was the worst possible interpretation. If Shane had come along during the Attitude Era...
2: Totally different. Oh,
1: totally different. Ben, Shane Douglas, the franchise, we might be talking about Shane as one of the great Attitude Era uh, guys, uh, you know, in that top five to 10. Timing's everything. Guys, timing's everything. Instead, he gets saddled with one of the worst characters. He's got heat with the wrong guys. I don't, he went back to ECW. Uh, and I don't think he felt like another WWE run was in the cards. I don't right. want to speak for Shane, but I don't recall getting a, a phone call about a return that time uh hey guys Tony Schiavone need to call a time out real quick wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling what happened when listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com Conrad sits down with a pioneer of wrestling television production director Dan Bynum who discusses his journey through WCW ROH MLW and where it all began for him World class. What really was the, uh,
0: the thing that, that catapulted it was, one, working with Ric Flair, he came to the territory and wrestled
2: with the Von Erich boys and gave us so much uh, gravitas, and two, the greatest feud in the history of wrestling, the Freebird Von
0: Erich feud. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were there at the hottest time with the hottest show and we took over the world
1: the yeti ron reese sits down with ad free shows members to talk about his infamous night at halloween havoc and how it was
2: received by the boys in the back
0: oh, oh no i remember like Arn anderson told me that that was the
2: drizzling shits and dusty roses like that was the worst thing i've ever seen i'm just like hey thanks <laughs> That's just a small taste of what we've got waiting for you with four levels to choose from. See for yourself. My Ad Free Shows is the best value
1: in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com.